Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 6, it tells us, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had a withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he rose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Father, we come before you this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to understand your scriptures, your word. We thank you, Lord, for being with us. We thank you for this time of gathering together, Lord. May may we be changed by your word, by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? Would you guide us and lead us through? And and Lord, um, have your way with our hearts, Lord. May we be challenged in our thoughts of you. And, and, and may our lives, Lord, glorify your name. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We pray you a special blessing upon Pastor Drew, his wife, Susan, and the children. May you refresh them and, and, and just fill them up, Lord, to their cup is overflowing. Thank you for all the servants here at Calvary Chapel at the cross, Lord. May you strengthen them as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So verse 6, it says, Now it happened on another Sabbath. It was just another church service, very similar to what we would have, right? Um, And sometimes getting used to another church service, we don't get really so excited sometimes. We're just on our way, plugging along. Maybe our excitement is that cup of coffee in the morning and the smell of it throughout the house, but we have our cup of coffee, we bring it to church. And, and being an introvert, you know, sometimes I'd rather stay home. You know, I'd rather be comfortable. I'd rather be just in my cozy room. And sometimes, you know, with this invention of Zoom, maybe that's what we found ourselves. Oh, I could just Zoom in. Um, but that's not quite, I believe, what the Lord really desires. You know, of course, we could enjoy the singing, the fellowship, the time of, of talking about his word. But I think even more so, kind of like a spouse or with children, the Lord, when we give a gift, and an unexpected gift, not a gift on anniversary or your birthday, but when we give a gift, we kind of look in just enjoying the what? The awe of their eyes with the excitement that they got a gift unexpectedly. And I think sometimes that's really what the Lord desires, that we would come to church always with an an excitement, a giddiness that, like, He's going to be here. He's going to be with us. He's going to teach us, whether through the songs, through the worship, maybe through your time of fellowship. Sometimes um, I've sat through all services, and, and it was really just something that a brother or sister said after the service that really blessed me, right? And you just never know how the Lord will show up and, and in what situation. And so maybe this was just another Sabbath day. And there wasn't any sort of excitement with what was going to happen that morning. And we're told here in that verse 6 that there was a man 
that Jesus came into the synagogue another Sabbath. And Jesus, there's a lot of reasons why it's another Sabbath. Right? Jesus is an instigator. He's a troublemaker when it came to the Sabbath day. But here, there was also a man whose right hand was withered. And, you know, just, just to think that this man might have been sitting in the church service day in and day out, right, for every Sabbath day as he could remember. And for him, maybe nothing special had happened. Maybe for him, again, there was that, that draining, oh, here I am again, you know. And, and yet, as we've already read, this is going to be a very special day for him, right? Something phenomenal is about to happen. But I like verse 7. And let's spend some time talking about these. There was also these scribes and these Pharisees. And they watched closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. It's shocking that sometimes, and in this situation, if I said, does the scribes and the Pharisees have more faith than you? Like we, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees get a really bad rap. And rightfully so. But in this situation, you know what they figured? They figured, here is Jesus. Here is this man with the withered hand. And if you put them in the same room together, something's about to happen. Like, I don't have that faith sometimes. I don't even believe that if I bring people to Jesus, that Jesus and that person something's about to happen. Or maybe I've gotten to the point even worse. I forgot that Jesus wants to work in me. That, right? And, and that's one of the things about the scribes and the Pharisees. They looked at Jesus. They saw this man with the withered hand. And they said, something's about to happen. And we know what's going to happen. They expected something to happen. But what they missed is also that, what if Jesus was there for them? Right? And it's like, oh, Jesus is always for someone else. Right? This message is good for my friend or my spouse or, oh, I wish so-and-so would hear this. But the scribes and Pharisees, they had such amazing faith, but they missed it for their own lives. Jesus was about to use someone who obviously didn't have it all together. And yet, to teach a people who appeared to have it all together. Right? He came into this situation, into the synagogue, and there is this man with the withered hand, and there are the scribes and the Pharisees. Scribes and the Pharisees, as far as they could account, I'm good. Right? My life is good. I... But the man with the withered hand, he would need something. And that's obvious. Right? And sometimes, that's one of our hesitations of walking into church. Maybe... We see what's obvious, but that's not always the case. You know, that's not always the case. So what were the two things? Look at it verse again in verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. You know, it's interesting. They didn't doubt that he could heal. They only questioned whether he would on the Sabbath. That's, again, faith. They had faith in two things, his character. One, right, that, again, Jesus and this man with the withered hand were perfect chemistry experiments, right? Perfect science experiment. Let's see 
what the catalyst will be. They knew that Jesus couldn't see someone suffering, someone in need, and not do anything. They knew something about his character. They also knew something about his power. Because, again, they didn't question whether they, he could heal. They knew he could heal. They just wondered whether they would, he would do it at this moment. Do I have that faith that I trust in the character of Jesus? Again, that he desires the best thing for me and in my life. Or do I, am I still a little skeptical or <laughs> pessimistic about what Jesus is trying to do in my life? Right? And, and, and I don't trust that really he's trying to make me whole. That he's trying to, you know, and, and we'll, we'll get into the man with the withered hand in just a moment. But the scribes, sadly, were also using this man with the withered hand just as a tool. Right? They were only, like, wanting to put Jesus and this man as a tool to what? Accuse Jesus. To have something to say against Jesus. And some people use people that way. Right? And we could be used that way in our lives. Someone could look at our lives and say, huh, what kind of God do you find? Like, what is this? You know, and, and we could put a bad name to Christianity and to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But again, it's weird that they believed in the gracious character of God, in the power of God. Yet they believed that Jesus would be moved with compassion, that Jesus would have to heal this man, and yet they remained unchanged. That's, that's rough. To what's the point of being in synagogue if you're going to go day in and day out and not be changed, not expect to be changed? There's no point. The whole reason that we gather together is because we know we don't have it together. The reason we gather together is so we can be changed. So we could say, God, I don't like where my life is or where it was, and I need to grow. And, and sometimes that, even that expectation, though, we get tired of waiting because nothing has happened yet. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they had this amazing faith. They believed, again, Jesus had the, the character to do something, the power to do something, but nothing happened in their own life. They continued with that skepticism. And, and that's the thing. You could see miracles happen right before you and remain bitter and remain unchanged. And that's, that's a sad testimony. I want to, again, have their faith, but yet be changed. I want to believe that God still does the same thing that he used to do, that he still does that today, that he's the same forever, right? So now let's look at this man with the withered hand tells us in verse 6, right out in the beginning, that there's a man in the synagogue. It's just another, another Sabbath day. Nothing big. Nothing spectacular in verse 6, right? And then in verse 7, scribes and the Pharisees kind of in their thoughts. And you know Jesus, he knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking now. Ah, just another one. You know, and... And, and, and the thing is, like, these scribes and these Pharisees are thinking this thing. And Jesus is like, oh, you're not going to put me in a box. It is another Sabbath. And you know what? I did other things on Sabbath that you didn't like. Let's see what we do now. 
And so, maybe the question is, why would the Messiah even come to my synagogue? Right? Why, why would it be anything special here? And the Messiah showed up in verse 8. And he says, Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had a withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? Now, the thing is, God has something planned in this moment. He poses a question. He asks, you know, what will you do? What, will, what is better for us? And as I look at this, I'm a little offended. I mean, we would all be offended. We're from New York. We would all be offended. You have this for- deformity, and Jesus in the synagogue is calling you out of your seat to stand up right in front next to him. Again, there's something, though, that even this man with the withered hand knew about the character of Jesus. He knew that if he looked into his eyes, he didn't see any malice. He wasn't going to call him out for having this withered hand, but yet he was calling him out for having this withered hand. He would use that which is he would consider a deformity, something that caused him shame, personal shame, maybe personal hurt all his life. And Jesus said, come, stand right here in front of everyone. Now, would you stand in front of a whole crowd exposing your deformities, exposing your shame, exposing your guilt? Right? All of social media is showing the opposite of those things, right? It's to glamorize the good part of you and to ignore the bad part. But here, again, we're not talking about just that Jesus is here to, right, like improve our self-image. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, can you come into the front? Can you show us your deformity? Can you show us your brokenness? Can you show the people your shame? Can you show us the guilt that you carry out? Can you come and show people what you're carrying around? That's, that's, that's why we don't really follow. Because it causes us to be exposed for what we really are. But when we read through the Scriptures, isn't that what God does all the time? He calls a Moses and Moses says, but look, I have no speech. And then he calls someone else and they say, I'm just the youth. I, like every time God calls someone, they always point out a reason that they shouldn't be called or they shouldn't be used, or a reason that they can't be chosen. And so here, again, we have to be able to understand the power of God's character. That He's not here to shame you, but He's here to glorify Himself through you. Like He's he's not afraid, we said in our morning devotion, He's not afraid of messiness. God is not afraid of your mess. He's not embarrassed by your mess. He's not embarrassed by what you're going through and what you're struggling with. He's just asking you, do you trust his character to be able to come to him and stand with him? And so again, God, Jesus is about to use this man with all these deformities, all these weaknesses, all this stuff to teach 
people who think they have it all together a lesson. And the lesson is that in light of Jesus, we get to see the character and the power of God, that God is gracious and that God works miracles. So this man, let's see what happens in verse 8. He knew their thoughts, and Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Arise, stand here. Again, he calls them out. He says to stand right in front of the whole congregation, the whole synagogue. Stand right here. But you know what here means? It means to stand with Jesus. So first thing I need to know, God is asking me to stand with Jesus. When I stand with Jesus, who is Jesus? He's the light of the world. He's asking me to come stand into the light. Stand in the light. Again, what does light do? It exposes darkness. And yeah, that means those things that I want to remain hidden may get exposed. Do I have the faith, though, that God's intention is not to condemn me? You know, he tells us in John 3 that Jesus came in the world not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And sometimes, yeah, he's going he's gonna to ask you. You need to confess to a brother. You need to confess to a sister. You need to, you need, the reason we're so in bondage to darkness is because we don't bring our darkness into light. Right? First John challenges us that if we want true fellowship, we need to what? bring our darkness into the light. That's what true fellowship is. And that's where true victory comes, is when we bring our darkness into the light. And so not only was this man called to stand with him, meaning to be in the light, but he also said stand here, meaning before everyone else. So he's asking him to stand before them, to be a light. Like, God wants to get a hold of your life to expose your shame, your guilt, your deformities, but to show that what? He touches those areas. He heals that. He redeems that. He restores that. So that other people can say, whoa, they were healed, I could be healed. They were changed, I could be changed. To have that, just that, again, that faith in God's character. He's not doing it to throw you under the bus. But rather, he's taking you to show that you can be changed. And because you could be changed, so-and-so can be changed. So we remain often unchanged because, again, I'm not here to stand with Jesus. I'm not okay with being exposed in those things. Now, he also says in verse 9, or verse 10, let's read it actually. Verse 10. And then he looked around at them all, and he said to the men, stretch out your hand. Again, like, if we were put in that situation, we would have probably been cursing Jesus out. How dare you tell me to stretch out my hand? Don't you see? Don't you know? And that's part of the things. Like, God calls you out, right? He touches your life. He saves you, and then he says, go out. Go do the same thing for someone else. Be a blessing to someone else. And oftentimes you're like, but don't you see who I really am, God? 
And God goes, yeah, I know exactly who you are. And it's because of who you are, because of you, because of what's going on in your life, I could be glorified through you. He doesn't, again, call those who have it all together. He calls those who don't have it all together to be his instruments, to glorify his name. And so we get scared, we get insulted, we, we begin to hide, we begin to run away because it, it's, it's not comfortable, right, to, to be out there. And, and living in the city, and you know, we always have walls up. We don't know what, everyone's, everyone's a scam artist, everyone has bad intentions, every, but Jesus doesn't, God does it. When God is doing something in your life, just trust him with your life. Trust him with your hurts. Trust Him with your deformities. Trust Him with your shame. Trust Him. He wants to heal your life. And there's times, right? Like, again, He says to the man, stretch out your hand. And, and I don't know what this... Like I said, if it was me, I would have cursed Jesus out. No way. Like, how dare you call me out in front of this crowd and, and point to the thing... You know, and in a society like this, in a culture like this, he was useless. He wasn't able to work, right, like everyone else. He probably only lived off of the, the, the grace of the synagogue. And yet, even the scribes and the Pharisees used him as a tool to kind of shame Jesus in, in this spot. What I love about this, this Jesus moment is that it teaches me to never say no. Between God's character and God's power, I should never be afraid or never hesitant to tell God, oh, no way, I'm not doing that. I would never do that. But when you read the Old Testament and all the saints, Abraham and Sarah, they said never. Right? I would never have a child in my, own, in, in my old age. Moses, I would never be able to be a spokesman for you. Um, Joseph, his brothers hated him. I could never, right? And he was thrown into a pit, and you see how God restores his life. Jonah, I would never go to those people. God loves taking our nevers and saying, oh yeah, let's see. Let's see. And he challenges whether we believe him to be our Lord or not. And we challenge his sovereignty. Peter, I would never deny you. We know how well that went, right? Like, I would never. Paul, he persecuted Christians. And sometimes, right, like, Jesus is okay with desperate. Jesus is okay with a lack of faith. But what Jesus has a hard time with is pride. A person who says, I don't need you. I don't even want you. That's hard for God to deal with. God needs your will. He needs your permission to work in your life. He needs you to be willing to stand with Him. He needs you to be willing to come up to the front. He needs you to be willing to obey even when you don't have the ability to obey. That's what the man with the withered hand did, right? Like Jesus says, stretch out your hand. You're like, I can't. But the moment He did, it was made whole. See, like the moment you want to obey, that's when things in your life begin to change. Like, oh, I can't be, I can't. Help the kids. Crazy. I hate kids. But again, if God's asking you to do it, He's going to give you the love and the patience to do it. 
you know, that, that coworker and that boss, you can't buy them coffee. You hate them. But God says, but I need you to. And then the, begin, the moment that you begin to do so, something begins to change. He makes you whole in the process of your obedience. Right? And I don't know why there's nothing... Uh, one of the things I get to heaven, this man with the withered hand, where were you? What did you say? Did you just do it just like... And it seems to be so. Right? In, in Mark and in Luke, it tells us, he just did it. He, he tried to do that. I, oh my goodness. What faith in this, this power of God. What faith in the character of Jesus to come up, to stand next to him, and to go through it. I've had my moments when I've had a withered hand. Right? Those moments when you said never. I would never do that. I can never do that. And growing up, I grew up in a, in a broken home, single parent home, and there was all sorts of um, things going on. It was, it was a common occurrence for police to show up at our house, you know, once a month, twice a month, you know, from parties or abuse, domestic violence. And, and, and through growing up, I, I just never imagined I would have a family. I, I could never do that. I could never have a family. Been molested and abused. And, and then you're like, I could never have a healthy relationship with people. And all these nevers, I began to see that God changed. God's able to change them. I would never serve in, I would never become a teacher. Oh, I remember that one. I would never become, I hated school. Now I'm a teacher in New York City, public schools. I would never serve in ministry. It's just, ah, church? I hate church. And we're serving in, in church, right? I remember I, there was a, a season uh, with my fiance. I was like, I can never forgive you. I mean, I, I did my own bad things, like how hypocritical. And I was like, I could never forgive you. And then yet, the Lord showed me that I can through him. Because of his love, his forgiveness, I can forgive easily. Look at what I've done, and God has forgiven me. How could I not forgive, right? And I remember being in, I, I lived in California for high school. And all my friends would be like, oh, would you ever move back to New York? Never. No way. Uh, 23 years later, we're here. No, no. And, and we moved back in, in 2000. You know, we got married, um, and we drove across country for our honeymoon. And my wife was on in the deathbed in the hospital. Her appendicitis was about to erupt. And I saw her name on the, the, the wall in the hospital. And a few years ago, uh, my mom passed away from AIDS. And I saw her name, same last name, Cancel, on the on the wall, and it just brought back, and, and I was like, we're never going to make it to New York. And the Lord said, but I called you go to New York. You're in Montana. You're going to get there. And so the Lord obviously healed her, and, and, and 23 year, years later, we have five children. I would never have more than one child. <laughs> never, right? I mean, I was like, one child, that's it. Five children later. The Lord loves taking our nevers and saying, but you're forgetting who I am. You're forgetting my character to love you and to change you and to the grace to carry you through those things you think that can never happen. You're also forgetting my power. I can make all things possible. 
Right? And so we, again, are always, we're just challenging our faith. Right? To trust Him. To believe Him for these things. And I, I remember, like, oh man, not right? Working as a tent maker for, uh, I'll do that for three years, 18 years later. Right? And we're still doing it. Only by the Lord's grace. Like, what nevers are you, like, are you at the, just right there, like, it's never going to happen, it's never going to change, it's, 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 this story reminds us, absolutely, it doesn't have to be just another synagogue, another Sabbath day, it doesn't have to be just another Sunday, it's up to you to let the Lord do that work in your life, and sometimes that's what we are, we're more resistant Right? Like this man could have chose, I'm staying in my seat. I'm not getting up to do anything. Right? Come in, come out, and that's it. But this man chose to trust Jesus, to come to the front and say, look, I'm not perfect. That's the point. We know we're not. You're not fooling anyone. Staying in your seat and not doing anything thinking that, you know, there's a psalm, a proverb, that says you think someone's wise until they begin to talk, right? Like, like the evidence of it, it begins to show. So if you conserve your words, you could be appear to be wise. And maybe that's why we don't serve. Maybe that's why we don't take that step to get involved. Because if I get involved, if I serve, then all appearances will be gone. Everybody will really know who I am. But the thing is, everybody is that way. Everybody needs the saving grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. Everybody needs the touch of Jesus in their lives. And so, one of my last nevers was, ah, I'd never plant the church. I barely, you know, I'd love to send other people out. I like training other people and teaching and, and sharing. And then the Lord, three years ago, four years ago, called us out to, to step out and do a home group and start a church. And and there's all these things, though, that, again, God is going to challenge your thoughts on His character, your thoughts on His power. And, and sadly, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had it. They knew that Jesus was going to do something. I want that faith again. That when I walk by someone on the street, when I go to work and I see so-and-so, that I'm not like, ugh, they were a lost cause. But that if I could get Jesus and them in a room, oh, wait a minute. You're in that room with them. You're filled with Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we're just so focused. Maybe if I could get them to church. No. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you go to work, church is at work. If you're in the grocery store, church is at the grocery store. Like wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is there. Jesus is there. And sometimes I just need to pause and say, let me pray for you. I can't give you anything. I can't help you out, but I could pray for you. And that's kind of like my focus. This city is so filled with needs. We don't have wallets big enough. But you know what we do have? We have prayers. Because we have a God who has the biggest wallet. And if someone 
I realize that someone doesn't need your money as much as they need your compassion. Someone needs not what you could give them, but whom you could give them. Right? You could give them Jesus. And sometimes we'll go, oh, what would that do? What did it do in your life? Like, you're, most likely your situation didn't change. When you came to Jesus, you still had the same job. You were still in the same marriage. You still had the same children. But all of a sudden, what? Your heart, the joy, life began to change. Because you were willing to come up, stand with Jesus. You were willing to come to be in front of others. And you were willing to obey Jesus. I like Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. In my reproaches. In needs. In persecutions. In distresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Like This is Paul's estimation of the best way to live powerfully for Christ is to live in His weakness. Is to be okay with His weakness. To be okay with His, his hurts. Right? And... I need to trust. If I could get, again, Jesus in a room with anyone, then things will happen. I don't know how you all have been living and, and surviving in New York City, but I need that faith that God wants to. You know, 24 years ago, when we were driving cross country, we believed, and we still believe, God wants to do something in this city. I still have that faith. And yeah, there's times when waiting, it's hard. But one by one, and and I shared this with someone, it won't be till eternity till we realize the impact your life has had on eternity. How you've lived out your faith. You took that step like the withered man to just come and follow Jesus, to be with Him, to be near Him causes you to be in front of others. Like, I won't see that impact for all eternity until I'm in eternity. Your life is meant to be a blessing to those around you. You and I, we have to get over these things that are preventing us. Those things that we keep saying, never, I'll never do that. I'll never go into ministry full-time. I'll never serve. I'll never have a healthy marriage. I'll never have a healthy relationship with so-and-so. My children, never. We have to stop saying never. If we believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth with just a word, then why are we so filled with nevers? Why are we so hesitant to do those things that God has empowered us and called us to do? He would never... We have, you know, the saying, like, 
God's empowerment, God's enablement, His empowerment, something like that. I forget the phrase now. But like His calling, He enables you. He empowers you to fulfill it. I want you to think of someone in your personal life, family, that needs to know Jesus. I want you to think of someone in your work life that needs to know Jesus. I want you to begin to just praying over those people. Just two people. Add them to your prayer list. Say, Lord, I need you to touch their lives. And then third, put yourself back on that prayer list. Lord, there's this area that I kind of gave up on. I kind of stopped believing that you were going to do this. I want to believe you again. I want to trust your character. I want to trust your power to do something. And then just commit those three things to prayer every month. Just spend time thinking about those things, praying over those people, and just remembering that God wants to do that work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray, Father, that you would, Lord, lift us up, that our faith and, and our hope in you would be lifted, that, Lord, we would stop saying never about things in our lives, Lord. That, Father, we would recall all the things you've saved us from and, and that know that your scripture itself says that you will be faithful to finish the work that you started in us. And so, Lord, help us to have that faith that you're still working, that you're still moving, and that, Father, you love to use us to glorify yourself in these days, Lord. We pray, Father, for our communities, Lord, whether it's Queens or Brooklyn, Lord, or Middle Village, or whatever area we come from. We pray, Father, for our neighbors. We pray, Lord, that you would touch their lives, Lord, and, Father, that you would use us to touch their lives, Lord. You would use us to be a light, Lord. You would use us to be a witness that, Lord, you still work. And we pray, Father, for those around us. We, we think of our family member. We think our coworker, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, just to pray for them. Lord, there's nothing we can do, but, Lord, if you would show up, if you would show yourself strong, then we know things can change. So we thank you, Lord, for your power. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for loving us and forgiving us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.